Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin, recording from my home in Westchester County, New York. And joining me today virtually is Jim Weber, CEO of Brooks Running Company. Headquartered in Seattle, Washington, the 105-year-old brand occupies a top spot in the specialty running shoe market, often garnering recognition for best running shoe from publications like Runner's World and Sports Illustrated. A subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway since 2006, the company also designs and markets high-performance men's and women's clothing and accessories in addition to running shoes. Beyond the gear, Brooks Running also touts a purpose of inspiring everyone to run and to be active. The brand's motto is run happy, and the company donates time, gear, and money to companies that align with their policies, driving diversity, equity, and inclusion. The company has been active and engaged in the recent COVID-19 response as well, donating footwear to frontline workers. CEO Jim Weber, who joined the company as president and CEO in 2001, brings a background in building brands in the sports and leisure industry to his work at the helm of Brooks. And prior to joining the company, he served as chairman and CEO of Sim Sports, president of O'Brien International and VP of the Coleman Company. Jim, welcome to Brand on Purpose. And hopefully I did not screw up that introduction. Aaron, it was fine with me. It's great to be here. What an honor. Brand on purpose. I'm excited. Well, I'm excited as well as a fellow runner in particular. And what I failed to mention is that you are kind of this renaissance man. So I mentioned your stints at Sim Sports and at O'Brien and at Coleman Company, but you were also once a banker. Maybe you're a reformed banker now. And you also worked for the Pillsbury Company. So why Brooks? And I'm assuming it has something to do with running, and running probably is something that you two are very passionate about. So you're able to combine both your personal passion with a professional career. Am I right? You're dead on, Aaron. So I feel like the luckiest person in America. I do believe I actually have the best job in America as CEO of Brooks Running Company. And my journey has been interesting with right and left turns. But the commonality is I've always wanted to be part of a team and build a business, always. I wrote a paper in seventh grade that I wanted to be president of a company. And at the time, I had NHL hockey dreams too. But Brooks, when I took this job in 2001, it was really a culmination of the journey I'd been on to that point. Yes, I've been in banking. I was good with numbers and accounting and all that. Pillsbury, I learned a little bit about brand and the like but I became a sporting goods guy. And so when I joined Brooks, I hung up my skates competitively many, many years ago and I started running. So I've been running for over 30 years and it's definitely my thing. So Brooks was absolutely an opportunity to bring running together with the opportunity to build a brand. And I've never looked back. That's why I'm still there through four owners is I just love to be part of a team and build things. And what could be better to do it around your passion? Before we hit record, we're chatting a little bit and we're talking about the environment we're operating in right now. So I know nobody likes it when I date my podcast, but today's June 4th. And you very astutely said to me, we aren't just operating in a dual crisis period, but there are three crises. You have the crisis of COVID-19 pandemic. You have the economic crisis that was brought on by COVID-19. And very sadly, we have the crisis of social injustice, civil unrest, and these three things are something that no CEO, no human being can ignore. We all have to address them. And I was saying to you earlier, I've been so impressed with the way you as a leader and your team have leaned into your company's values. You haven't stayed silent. 
I feel like you've struck just the right chord, especially around the sensitive issue of racial injustice and social injustice and inequality. And your posts about running on equal ground, your donations amidst COVID to healthcare workers, it's not who you are now, it's who you've always been, but now you're able to shine a light on it. And I know that these are difficult conversations and these are difficult times, but it must be a little bit easier when you don't have to change who you are, you just have to reveal yourself. There's no question about that, Aaron. I would say we've had a life's experience in the last three months if you're in the business realm because COVID-19 has affected almost every human being in every household on the globe or it will probably. And it's just been so big. And then of course it created an economic crisis. Not so much on the supply chain, we've worked through that, but people are in their homes. They're not shopping, of course. And so the job destruction, 40 million unemployed, right? and we're navigating through that. I'm really proud of how we're working through that and keeping everyone safe. And then social unrest explodes in front of us all in the United States and somewhat globally too. And so we're all affected by this. And I think for us, how do we navigate this as a brand and a business? You go to your values, you have to. And we're such a team connected company internally that normally if we're gonna speak externally about anything, we've hashed it all out inside of our team, all the way through our 800 plus employees. And we didn't have time to do all that. We've had a diversity working group and we've got DEI programs and diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've been working on this for a long time. Our purpose at Brooks is to inspire everyone to be active and benefit from the positive energy that feeds them from a run. We want everyone to participate in that. So it's in our brand ethos that these core human, fundamental human values of respect and safety and security and freedom are shared. And so there was no question that this deserved a conversation and we had to be in it. We just had to be in it. So I'm very proud of our team. We're going to be who we are. I think that's the key for any brand. Brands are like people. They're multidimensional and the best ones have values and stand for things so they can engender trust. And so we've always had a lot of clarity around who we are and what we want to offer to the running marketplace and how we want to do that. And there's a bit of who you are, but there's also how you behave and how you play. And so we know who we are, but how that manifests itself in all these conversations, it's challenged us like everyone, and we're trying to rise to that challenge. So a slightly more competitively sensitive question. I did notice that you and Adidas both took the high road as competitors and you retweeted Nike's commercial. I think it's just don't do it or don't, whatever it is, but I got the gist of it. We all got the gist of it. And it was very powerful. I give Nike a lot of credit for their creative acumen. I've also, as recently as a few days ago and repeatedly, I personally question their motives behind their activism because it feels to me, it doesn't feel as authentic. Now, that's just my own opinion, and I don't need you to agree with that, but I applaud you for staying above that and at least recognizing that their message is something that you could get behind. But personally, I still like the way you handled it better. That's just me. And I recognize that as of a year ago, Nike, I know, is the market leader. I was reading, I think it was an article that you were in in Barron's about a year ago. And the world, think about it, a year ago, the world is a very different place. You're just coming out of the Berkshire Hathaway summit. And you had said, 
that you hope to be a billion dollar brand by 2021. And I guess the question for you is, how hard will it be to stay focused on a specialty market? Because you really, and I respect you for this, you really focus on running. I know you sell other things, but what, 85% of your business is running shoes, right? 100% actually is. All we do is running. It's really all we do. Everything we build is runnable. And I know that a lot of your sales pre-COVID, I think you had said off air, it was like 90% in terms of revenue comes from stores, specialty earning stores, of which I'm in constantly, despite screams and protests from my wife that I shouldn't be there as much as I am, but I have an addiction to these stores. It's like going to a candy store for me. How have you pivoted your business amidst COVID-19 to be able to, one, find a way to continue to support these specialty stores, but also service consumers online at the same time, either or both? There's a lot of questions in there, Aaron. Pick whatever you want to answer. (laughs) Let me share a point of view that the best decision we ever made as a business was to focus on the run. The reason is there are 150 million people globally that run for their own reasons, fitness, competitive pursuits, et cetera. That is a huge category. It's the biggest category in athletic footwear and apparel by far. It always has been. When you look at apparel and footwear for that 150 million people globally, it's at least a $20 billion market. And we'll do something around 700 million this year. So when we said a billion dollars, what that reflected was a belief that the essence of our brand positioning with the sport being the soul of the run, but it being the most unique sport out there anywhere, because it becomes more than that. It becomes a personal pursuit and investment in yourself and health, wellness, and ultimately makes you, feeds you every day. So running is such a unique sport because it transcends into people's lives, hopefully for decades, all through their life, and ultimately completes their life and helps them to be happy. So when we chose run, we just, there was so much opportunity here. And so because we're focused only on people that are running, we think a premium niche position in that was easily a billion dollars for our brand and what we stand for and the way we approach it. Then on the product side, we're laser focused on performance because it has to work at mile 26. Most people don't run 26, but everything we build, that's where the promise comes in. There's a promise in brands and products, and the promise in ours is runnability. And so we are so laser focused on that. And I think what happens in these categories is we compete against fantastic brands. Some of the strongest brands in the consumer world are in our space. And then there's a lot of new innovation coming and the like. It's a very healthy category right now. It's fun. We love that. But I think the puzzle we're trying to solve always is against the runner. And so the COVID situation here, our sales were way off in the last three months, of course, at the wholesale level. But what we saw happen, and we've had to build this muscle, is we have to have a conversation with runners. They're shopping digitally. And that isn't new. That's been happening for over a decade. So we've created a capability through all the social and media and digital pipes to have conversations with them. But we're really unique as a company because we want to be where runners shop. And so they're shopping digitally, but they're buying everywhere. They're just buying it. Their specialty run shops, the community shop is still very, very important in this category. Why? Because my theory of running, Aaron, is it's actually 
tens of thousands of little sub-communities. And it's almost all local. And especially now with unfortunately events not happening, they're happening virtually, running is a local phenomenon. So people shop at sporting goods, they shop at their local running shop, they shop online from the brands, they shop at some online retailers as well. And so we think it's really important to be close to the runner, follow the runner around. I think in this day and age with these crises that we have on COVID-19 and just the economic challenges that people are seeing and businesses are seeing, you have to follow your customer around. We've always believed that. But specialty run, these local community shops, we think are going to be as important five years from now as they ever have been, and maybe more so. But yeah, I think you've got to follow the runner around. They're shopping digitally. They're buying everywhere. That's what we're seeing. And they talk to each other constantly. And the one thing that's kind of nice, I mean, there's a silver lining in every crisis. I've never seen so many people out and about. And I live like in the woods. You don't usually see people out and about. And I'm like, what does that sound? Oh my God, there's kids playing outside. It's like, oh, that's nice. But it's so nice to see so many people out right now. And I'm hopeful, as I'm sure you are as well, that that doesn't end when eventually this pandemic does end and we find a new normal. We believe that's going to be the case. We're doing a lot of research with runners right now because we're trying to sense demand. The retail signals are gone. No one knows. But what we've seen through Strava data and our own surveys directly and Google search data and the like, we're seeing incredible growth in participation and in some people, miles run. And we think it's going to stick and be there as things begin to normalize as well. What's interesting, and you referred to what else we might do, what we do know is a lot of our shoes, I think our percentage of runners in our brand is probably the highest of any major brand. We have walkers (laughs) and we have medical workers that want a good supportive shoe to stand in. I think the running silhouette, a well-done running shoe, has always been a great walking shoe and a great work shoe because of the comfort factors and support and the like. So we've always had other people, more casual use in our product line. That demand has declined dramatically in the last three months because you don't have to have it. But if you're running, shoes a piece of equipment. And so we think running growth is going to be significant. It's going to hold up better, which it has, and it's going to grow and recover earlier coming out of this situation. And I just have to ask, I've never met Warren Buffett. Hopefully one day, it had to be sooner rather than later. What's it like working or even speaking and meeting with Warren Buffett? It's been an absolute joy for me, Aaron. So I've been a student of brands and a student of business for a long time. Once I knew I couldn't make a living as a professional athlete, I started to get focused. And so I've been reading Warren's annual reports since the 80s, and he's been a mentor to me. And so when I first met him, he pulled Brooks into Berkshire Hathaway as a standalone subsidiary. 2012, I said, Warren, you don't know this, but you've been mentoring me for the last 20 years. I've gone to school on you. I feel like I know you. Of course, you don't completely know a person, but it's just so powerful, Aaron, because his compass is so true. He so understands brands. The brand isn't a physical asset. It's in the mind of your customer. And it's how they feel today about you is how your brand sets up today. And so it's the brand exists in the minds of customers. And at every turn, I remember a few years back, the dollar was getting stronger and the euro was messed up. And I thought, okay, this is where Warren Buffett is going to help me solve a business problem. No one knows more about global finance than he does. 
I said, Warren, we got these currency issues really affecting our profitability and the like. And he basically said, I have no idea where currencies are going. You should focus on your customer. And if you do that, you're going to be fine over the next five years. Focus on your customer. You thought he'd be like, well, here's how you hedge against FX. And here's what exactly. I did last night. Right? And you got none of that. He said to me, I don't spend any time thinking about what I can't do anything about. But that advice in a consumer products company, he understands the value in our business is going to come directly from the value of the brand. And so the intensity of customer focus that comes from the advice and counsel in Berkshire Hathaway is just so refreshing to me. And they own so many different businesses, but they understand brand and they're encouraging us to build this brand and do everything we can to be closer to the customer, in our case, the runner. Yeah, it's control what you can and then plan for what you can't, but don't over-index on it. And it's interesting because I don't think we've ever been in a moment in our lives, both from a societal standpoint, economic standpoint, where ambiguity and uncertainty are so prevalent, followed by things like anxiety. (laughs) No question. It must feel good, at least, to know that you have the backing of Berkshire Hathaway and not just Warren Buffett, but his team obviously must be of great value, especially in these times. It's a huge competitive advantage for us. It is because we are truly through all that we've been through in the last decade, we're investing out five to 10 years. And that's an advantage that we have. We don't manage it quarter to quarter. We build plans. We want to hit our numbers. We want to hit our margins. We want to be a good business. And we are. We benchmark ourselves to every public company out there. But in something like this, just like everyone else, we were talking about our direct e-commerce business is important, but last year was 8% of my units. 92% of my business is with retail partners, and they were all closed in Europe and here in mid-March. That's scary. And the Berkshire challenge is figure it out and solve it. They don't write us blank checks. So we were, I think, as white knuckled as anyone when the economy shut down because we had to navigate our way through it. And fortunately, we will. And at the same time, I say that we knew that if we could put a plan together that was investable, which it would be because we think we have great opportunities, they were going to be there to support us. But we had to, they asked us to live in our own balance sheet. And we did. And we have. So you earn the support just like anywhere else. But as an investor, as a platform investor to build a brand and a global business off of, we're very fortunate. And it's really what you're saying is it's a lot of it has to do with long-termism versus short-termism. Absolutely. We're going to pause very quickly for a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay. So we're back. Did I read this correctly that not only did you want to be a president of a company when you're in seventh grade, as you just disclosed earlier, but Did you want to be an NHL hockey player as well? Did I get that right? If I can only speak, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's all right, Aaron. Growing up in Minnesota, I was on a mission. I was shooting pucks in my garage for three, four hours at a time, trying to get better and better and better. I was about the size I am now in ninth grade. I went from the biggest guy on the team, literally in four years, to the smallest guy on the team. Played a little bit of college hockey, but somehow I got slower every year. And I love sports. That's why the day that I quit playing competitive college hockey, I started running. So I've been running since I was 20 years old. I've done races, but I never trained for anything. I've done a couple marathons and a lot of halves and the like. So I'm addicted like you are to the experience. My go-to was a six-mile Saturday run and just to clear the mind and get a great sweat in and be outdoors. 
I ran for over 35 years, three to five days a week. It was my thing. And then when I came to Brooks, I understood that there are runners and people who run. I'm a runner, but man, there are real runners out there. I'm probably the slowest guy at the company, but I love it. I just love to run. It's so true. So at my peak of a marathon training, I'll run 55 miles a week, which is a lot. But my friends who are really considered, they're sub three folks in the 26.2 category, and they are ultra runners. They're posting 150, 160 miles a week. And I'm just thinking to myself, first of all, who has the time for that? It's amazing they're able to do that. But that's a lot of mileage. And I'm so proud of my 50-55. And by the way, if I ran more, I'd have to even eat more than I already do. At that point, you can't keep on the weight. It's impossible. It just melts away. But it makes the day better. If you can get a workout in, you get a run in, it makes it a better day. It's always a better day. Now, so you mentioned Minnesota, and I just want to go back to this moment that we're in right now. And I have a couple of clients, and we also have a sister agency is based in Minneapolis. And when George Floyd was murdered, and then it's been almost a week now, and you've seen so much in terms of protests and civil unrest, and a lot of folks speaking out, as a Minnesotan, how has that impacted you personally? Because I know that when I talk to people I know who are from there and or continue to live there now, they are absolutely devastated and shocked and embarrassed. So many family and friends there. I moved away in, I think, 89 or 90. So it's been a while since we've lived there. But obviously, get back for family and friends in the Twin Cities Marathon and 10 Mile is one of my favorite races. And it's incredibly sad, Aaron. And just as a person who grew up in that community, it's time to do soul searching. The Black community in Minneapolis, they're separated communities. At least they were when I was there, the suburbs and blah, blah, blah. It's not unlike maybe a lot of at least Midwestern cities. And so there wasn't the amount of cultural interaction that I grew up with that would have helped in a situation like this. Whether or not that's the case anymore, I've been gone too long. But I think it's incredibly sad. And between what a difficult time, and it's because of videos, I guess, but Ahmad Arbery, the runner that was literally chased and ambushed and killed. And then this situation to have somebody, you're handcuffed, you're arrested, and then somebody is literally on your back for almost nine minutes. I can't imagine it. And so I think I'm a white male and I am going through a process of really trying to understand and empathize with the reality of being a young black man in this culture. And we've got a ways to go. So I think empathy is so critical at a time like this. It just is. And walk in other people's shoes. And so very difficult for Minneapolis. It's sad. I hear what you're saying. And my day job, the agency that I run, we're, I've always said, and I've taken a lot of pride in the fact that we're purpose-driven. We donate a lot of our time towards causes for our clients. Everybody takes purpose days. We're very particular about the types of clients and brands we'll represent. I have a never represent list, which I won't get into here, but we're very mindful of that. And we're very outspoken as well. And I encourage activism amongst my staff. And I guess my question for you is, and we talked a little bit about this before we hit the record button, but in talking to a lot of my clients, there are a lot of landmines. There's a lot of words that we could use where things can go very wrong, even though the intent wasn't to do that, it wasn't to offend. The intent was to stand in solidarity. And I'll be honest, I sent out a note. Everybody's like, that's a very nice note. And it was heartfelt and it was vulnerable and I appreciate it. But what are you going to do now? And I said, that's fair. You're right. 
And my point back to them was, well, this is not a short-term fix. This is not a light switch where tomorrow, suddenly we're the most diverse agency we've ever been. And we've changed all our policies and practices. This takes a lot of work and it takes all of us, not just me. It comes from me, but it takes all of us. So I sent out another note and I was even more specific. And I realized, and I've been doing communications for 30 years. I think I'm so good at crisis and issues calm. I'm not. And this is, it's so much easier for a client or a brand to talk about COVID or even anti-Semitism, but racism it makes people so uncomfortable and they stumble over their words. And I'm sorry for like this preamble, but I guess my question here is, are there things you think in your own company that you think you could be doing better? Because I know there's things in my company that I can be doing a lot better that we've talked about. And then for some reason on our priorities list, you run a business, I run a business, you run a huge business, I run a very small business. It suddenly becomes unfortunately backburnered for something else. How do you make it a priority and where are the areas you think you can be better when it comes to social justice? It's a big question. And here's where I begin is I try to make topics like these, social justice or sustainability or giving back to communities, I try to not make them initiatives, (laughs) strategy initiatives, marketing initiatives, communication initiatives, even just an engagement initiative. And I'm going to talk to our team tomorrow in a town hall about this. And so we need to hook it right to our brand values. It needs to be bolted on. It's not a strategy. It's not an initiative. It is bolted on to our brand values and what we stand for. And that is still a journey because at Brooks, because we're building a brand, we still feel like we're a small niche. We have to earn our customer every day. We have to earn the runner every day. And so we don't want to be in a situation where we're saying and not doing. And so our own employees have criticized us. Or why aren't we speaking about this? Why aren't we saying something about this? But it's because we want to get our act together and, okay, what are we going to do about this? We've done that on gender and gender equality and engagement. We've done it on our booster club program and giving back to schools in the inner city. We've funded inspiring coaches and booster club program for cross country and track and field programs that we've awarded, I think, almost $2 million of gear and funds now to support needy high school running program. So giving back to the community and the everyone and inspire everyone to run and be active is what makes this a central issue for our brand. If we can't run on equal ground, our work isn't done. And we're going to bolt this right to the core values of our brand because running is, we believe, one of the most inclusive sports the world has ever known. And it's actually affordable. (laughs) You need some shoes, you need a good sports bra if you're female, and you can go out your back door, you can go to a nearby park and the like. So we've always believed that there's got to be an invite here to everyone. You should be able to run safely and securely and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So for us, we had to speak out. We've got some good programs going. We're going to continue to engage our employees on that and our community give back programs. But it's just a start, Aaron. And I think our diversity and inclusion at a cultural level in our organization, we've got a long ways to go. We made progress. We made tremendous progress. But I believe we have to reflect the running community. That's our bar. We should reflect the running community over time. That's our bar. That's our challenge. So how do we recruit and retain and develop people at every level of the organization to reflect that? So it is going to take time. But I think for us, Everything we've communicated, we believe in, we've got some things in place that we're executing against that. We're going to build a lot more. But the key to me on sustainability, on the biomechanics of human motion and shoe design, 
on how you treat people in a foundational respect of justice and human values, you can't own those. Those are foundational to society and people. So we share on the sustainability side. We share on the social justice side, basically reinforcing good sentiments out there. Nike put out an initial sentiment on this and we retweeted it because this isn't a game of who's more righteous than other. It's about being true and human. And it's the same thing. We've shared a lot of our biomechanical research on the foundations of running because there's one truth in human motion. And if people can run more healthy and comfortable and injury-free, we actually share all that research. If there's a better solution on a material or sustainability or on a process, if it's about the earth, you don't want to keep that to yourself. You want to share that to the whole industry. And so these topics and how people are treated, the opportunities they have access to, how secure and safe they feel in their own neighborhoods on public streets are fundamental for everybody. But I think for us, we got to walk the talk. And so we're working really hard now to identify these initiatives, not only give back and support community initiatives, but do the work inside that makes it authentic. And that's why sometimes we're criticized, we're not saying enough, but we haven't got more work to do. You speak and then the expectation comes back or what are you doing about it? And we're doing some things we need to do more. That's the truth of it. It's so true. And it sounds cliche, but words versus actions. And all you have to do is scroll through LinkedIn and you have company A either doing white letters on a black background saying they support Black Lives Matter, all that stuff. And then you'll see responses. Hey, can you post a picture of your executive team or your board? And I'm of two minds. I don't think it's a totally unfair question, but it's not 100% fair either. And the reason being is because social justice and equality absolutely is a critical and a systemic issue for the Black community and people of color. It's also, as we are now Pride Month, a very important issue for people who are part of the LGBTQ community and identity. So just because I might look a certain way doesn't mean I identify the way that you think I look. That's right. This issue is so nuanced and so complicated. Social media, interestingly, is actually not the right platform, I don't think. I think it's a platform. But I don't think it gives us enough real estate to really talk about the complexities associated with it. So as a communicator, I'm also struggling and working with clients to try to figure out what are better avenues. Is it long form through medium? Is it Reddit communities, podcasts, video, other ways to be able to bring your values forward? I don't know the answer to the past and the channels and so forth, but we're going to continue to work on our voice. And every brand, every business is a bit of a gathering and a community. And for us, we've chose running and runners. And now we don't want to lose one customer. We want to bring in the LBGTQ community. We want to bring in the African We want to bring in everybody. As And we're a premium brand. Everybody's got so many choices. But once you're in this space, we are so committed to being a welcoming, inclusive brand. And that means you have to be able to see yourself in our brand. And everything matters. Our engagement, our communication, our voice, our organization, the diversity from top to bottom, everything matters ultimately, Aaron. So that's just the truth of it. That's what it means to reflect the community that you're setting yourself up to be meaningful and relevant and connected to. And you're no stranger to challenges. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you joined Brooks 19 years ago? Yes, been a long time. (laughs) It's probably fair to say that the company didn't have the most favorable forecast 
and you did a lot to turn it around. Now, I'm not saying it took 19 years, but 19 years later, look at what you've accomplished. You're hoping to become a billion dollar shoe brand inside of a year or so. So there are obviously challenges then, just like you're facing challenges now. Some of those challenges you could probably control, a la the Berkshire Hathaway kind of idiom. And there are things that are always out of your control, threats that are out of your control. So pre-COVID, you also had to look at tariffs. You moved your operations from China to Vietnam. Sounds like you and your team are really good at pivoting and figuring out when to make a hard left turn, a hard right turn, and to stay on course. You just use really, really bad running analogies. So what is it about the turnaround and all of your time at Brooks that you think you can bring to bear for these challenges that we're facing today? It's interesting. I think what I've learned, boy, there's no guarantees. There's just no guarantees. And tariffs were huge for our industry, absolutely massive. And we navigated that. And we've had scaling challenges. We turned on a new distribution center and struggled with it because we missed some things last year. And we got through that. I think these three things that we're navigating, the social justice issues and COVID-19 and this global economic crisis now, these are big, Aaron. I would say they're external to us. A lot of our turnaround challenges, when they came in, we had way too much debt and kind of a mess of a business and not a lot of clarity. And we planted a stake and said, we're going to focus on runners. And we've never looked back. So we're an overnight success in 19 years. But this is where I think the wisdom of Berkshire and Warren Buffett has been so key to me, focus on the customer. And we are. I mean, I love product. I just love it. And we're trying to be innovative and bring fantastic technology and engineering and materials and experience to the runner. And that's just fun. And so when someone tries your product, falls in love with it, tells their friends about it, it's just so rewarding. And so that's how our brand is built. It's built first and foremost from that great product experience. So it's not easy. I think there's no guarantees. And so you have to be resilient. Yeah. It was so nice to meet you, though, and I'm hopeful that we you. can meet in person one day as well, and I appreciate your time. I really do. I hope so, too, Aaron. And if you do get to Seattle, please, if you have any extra time, I'd love to host you at Brooks when we can gather. I appreciate that. Hopefully next year when we get back to the rock and roll marathon. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com. Follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast. And learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Thank you.